Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from James Burstall, Chief Executive of Argonon Group, Liz Layton, Executive Producer at the company's New York-based Podco Leopard USA, and Tom Porter, Director of Programmes at its UK outfit, Bright Spark Films, about continuing to produce and win commissions during the pandemic and the lessons learned. Plus Kriko Akanda, Executive Producer of Strict Sweden Format The Farm, and Adam Bath, Commercial Director of Distributor Nent Studios UK, discuss making the reality show under COVID-19 restrictions. London-headquartered Argonon Group has offices in Liverpool, Glasgow and New York and employs over 200 staff across a set of seven scripted and non-scripted production companies, including the masked singer UK maker Bandicoot, Leopard USA and Bright Spark Films. Chief Executive James Burstall, plus Leopard USA Executive Producer Liz Layton and Bright Spark Director of Programmes Tom Porter, spoke with Inigo Alexander about how the company acted swiftly to ensure it could continue producing during the pandemic and win new commissions, including a spin-off of overseas relocation docuseries House Hunters International for Discovery's HGTV and a number of COVID-19-related current affairs shows for the UK's Channel 4. They also spoke about the lessons learned from remote filming around the world and how these will feed into a more international approach for the company moving forwards. So my name is James Burstall and I'm Chief Exec of the Argonon Group. We really grasped the nettle with this terrible experience, COVID. And really back in January, we were on early alert when we started hearing the news coming from abroad. Um, and then by early March, we'd really accelerated filming across the group to make sure we got as much as possible into the can because we just didn't know what was coming. Uh, and then mid-March, we decided collectively that we were going to move the whole organisation off-site and online and thank goodness we had invested in really good tech so in 48 hours we moved 1500 logins off-site and online and it was pretty astonishing and, and frankly very smooth and then of course the the really terrible coronavirus kicked in big time with the, the death rate escalating and thank goodness we had been able to fill our edit suite so we had more than 30 editors working remotely. And, you know, initially there was some learning to do. You have to be more articulate when you're editing and producing, producing, directing um, remotely. But uh, people really took to it and were very resourceful. And I have to say the team were extraordinary. And then we just started thinking, well, how on earth are we going to, to cope with this moving forward? We knew there'd be no filming in April and May. So we did a number of things. We started digging deep into our back catalogue. We started thinking about how can we repackage shows? How can we do spin-off shows? How can we, you know, tap into things we've done in the past and maybe refresh them or renew them? And people really just started thinking laterally. So across the board, we did uh, dig deep and, and people pulled together. It was very important throughout to keep very good communication. So I saw it very much as a big part of my job to make sure that people understood that we were proceeding with calm purpose. It was obviously top priority to make sure all of our people were safe. And we started thinking very quickly about how are we going to get uh, protocols in place. And I've got a very good legal commercial business affairs team who spent weeks starting to line up all the endless protocols that would be necessary to keep our people safe. That was a top priority. And then uh, as part of uh, this process, I set up an internal COBRA team 
at Argonon. I brought together six of my top business partners around a table, people who are not yes people by any means, and were going to be willing to say to me the really difficult stuff. And we had to face up to the very difficult things. So from the top down, we made tough decisions. I took a pay cut immediately, so said many of my team. We deployed the furlough scheme, which was extremely helpful. Uh, we had to let some of our freelancers go, although I'm happy to say we are bringing quite a lot of them back now. And we just had to be very, very honest with ourselves that this was an experience that we'd never been through before and that we were going to have to just face up to all the harsh realities. As I say, we can't purpose and, and so far so good. We did decide that we wanted to try to get back to some filming on the 1st of June, which we did. And in fact, we have won a number of commissions. We've won more than 60 hours of commissions since lockdown. We are, I think, going to be first out of the gate with our scripted projects in the summer. Uh, one of the first productions to be shooting an original um, in the UK. But protocols come first and safety comes first. So we're proceeding with extreme caution. In terms of the next couple of months going forward, how have you? How are you planning that? It's obviously, slightly more uncertain future than it would be in a in a normal year. But how have you planned the the next coming months? Well, like I say, we we wanted to stack up our edit suites as much as we could. So the editors uh, that we were employing have been very busy through uh, May and into June, uh, and then really we've been going sort of week by week because no one can really tell what's possible. Uh, one of the first things we did is we started looking around the world at where filming was starting to become possible. So actually Australia was one of the first countries to open up. Taiwan opened up more quickly than others. Finland, Turkey. So um, starting at the beginning of June, and Liz perhaps can speak to this, we started filming again uh, uh, around the world in different parts of the planet. And in fact, that's what um, was really one of the most extraordinary experiences. And I was keen for Liz to come and talk with us today uh, was we won a spin-off commission from Discovery well I'll, I'll let Liz tee this up Liz this was a pretty life-changing experience I would say what do you reckon sure life-changing is a word absolutely I mean who can make a tv show from their kitchen counter that's what we were able to do with House Hunters International colon the adventure continues it was an adventure Absolutely. Uh, we had been excited to always revisit our House Hunters International contributors, which is what we call our talent, our, our folks who are moving abroad. And we'd always, you know, viewers all the time, oh, I want to see this person. What, what, ha what happened to that family in, in Istanbul? What about that funny couple in Amsterdam? So we were able to have a series of 12 new original doc style House Hunters International spinoffs done. Um, we got them commissioned, as, as James said, right as every other production company is shutting down, we were ramping up very top of April. We had honed in on 12 Really, we had a lot of stories in, in the hopper, of course. The network commissioned 12 off the bat. And we got to work with a June air date that was looming in the back of my brain with House Hunters International on a bit of a pause because obviously we weren't able to film in April and May. Um, so I put back on my director-producer hat from my co-executive producer hat and connected with these 12 very different stories all around the globe, uh, producing them virtually using the folks' own gear, cell phones, tripod stands, a stack of books, <laughs> a, um, you know, a, a table lamp. You know, we, we got really um, 
crafty in how we put this show together. People are very tech savvy these days. They understand how to film themselves. They understand good lighting. Lucky enough, I'm I my partner in life is a is a director of photography um, who actually freelances for HHI, and so he was helping me to put together a really cohesive, you know, step by step guide as to how to set up a microphone. Working with our fabulous, you know, line producers at at House Hunters International, the very first thing was, what kind of gear do you have? What kind of cameras do you have? Cell phones, uh, lighting, etc. So we put together packages and sent them, you know, via Amazon and other, you know, B&H video here in New York, consumer-friendly microphones, tripod stands, etc. And I organized a shoot schedule. Every single day from May 1st through mid-June, I had a shoot. Um, with some person and the show is basically the, the backbone of the show is the original episode and it's the contributors re-watching the episode with us watching them a la Gogglebox commenting on what they said then how they feel about it now and then providing incredible action sequences that they filmed for us on their own and even drone in many cases people really stepped up and got excited um it's the beauty of working on house hunters international everyone leaves with a lovely memory and they were really excited to come back to us again was there any lesson behind it all i mean do you think it changed your approach to production do you think that there might be some lessons that you'll take on board in the future I learned a lot from this experience. I was um, formerly a director on House Hunters International and, and I became promoted into this position. And it reminded me about how important the human connection is. While COVID has forced us all to be inside and really look inward in many ways, people really long to share. They really want to be spoken to, listened to. And I think it allowed me to be a better interviewer. When you're interviewing someone via a Zoom call or over a Skype, you have to slow down and you can't be a million miles an hour. And especially as a native New Yorker, that's my MO. <laughs> but in connecting with these people, with these former friends of the show, it was really nice that everyone was so game, so excited, really open. And I think that this whole experience of being under lockdown wherever you are really brings people sort of to their core of who they are. And in turn, I feel like we got better stories than we might have gotten had this just been an update show in normal times. Inigo, this is James, if I could just jump in. I think it's um, Liz is being very modest, as she always is. Um, actually, she, she, you know, she directed a 12-part series from her apartment in, in uh, the US, all over the world, shooting very complex action sequences. And we did send um, cameras that, uh, all around the planet which people then sanitized when they arrived. And, you know, she got people to actually shoot sequences with, um, you know, beginning, middle and end shots, cutaways. And like she mentioned, you know, she had drones flying all over, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the outback of Australia. Yeah. And uh, when I saw these rough cuts, that when they started to come in in, in, in mid-May, honestly, you could not tell that this show was shot entirely by people in different parts of the world. So I think we've demonstrated that it is possible. You know, you have, when you have to do something like this, you just get it done. 
And what do you think that means for the future of production? We're definitely going to introduce these methods into our, our working uh, working practices moving forward. I mean, for example, on House Hunters, but I mean, that's just one show. We make more than 20 shows at any one time and we're shooting on all five continents. We, we are now really building a, a much bigger international team of directors, producers, shooters, sound recordists. That's always been something that we've, we've worked towards and we've had offices in uh, different parts of the planet, but in, on, in no way on this scale. And now that uh, you know, Liz and her team in New York have built up this stable of producers and directors who we can trust and their material is strong, we've trained them up obviously to the level where you know, they are now able to live in Guatemala or you know, the, the, the skeleton coast of Namibia and they are directing shows for primetime American television. I mean, it's a fantastic opportunity. It's great for them and it's good for us. And there's such a benefit to having locals on the ground filming for us. You know, while we have a depth crew primarily based in the UK and in New York, we are now meeting all these people who are also giving us backstage access to things that we, that our producers who are putting these shows together in London and New York, we wouldn't know these things. So in addition to, you know, having global reach on a, on a technical producer creative level, we're also getting sort of this really cool backstage tourism pass that we're going to share on the show, which is amazing. And in terms of choosing House Hunters uh, to be the show to produce during lockdown, what was the reasoning behind that? Uh, We were contracted to make roughly 20 different shows at any one time across the group and we didn't cancel anything uh, but we did postpone a few shows because we knew we needed to buy ourselves a month or three where it was not going to be possible to shoot immediately but uh, clearly there's a commercial imperative for the you know we're contracted to clients that the channels have gaps and slots and they want to fill but also we want to keep our people working you know major priority for us throughout this whole process is how can we possibly do everything to keep our people in work and you know we've done as much as we can like I said we are bringing back a lot of our freelancers now which I'm very happy about mm-hmm. uh, but maybe we could just bring in Tom um, from Bright Spark because actually he made a pivot with Bright Spark uh, right at the beginning of the corona lockdown which meant that we took that company temporarily in, in a new direction in order to be able to keep working. Yeah I mean we have uh, a broad range of output and we always uh, have done that. I mean, my, my background uh, is both in current affairs and specialist factual. And we felt at the beginning of the outbreak that, you know, we had to obviously manage the shoots that we had ongoing with our, our, our more specialist factual shows like um, World's Most Scenic Railways for Channel 5. But also, you know, what were the new opportunities to bring in business during this time? And it's clear to us that current affairs was an area that, you know, would need, need output. And Channel 4 particularly was keen to have a lot of shows around coronavirus itself so we put a lot of effort into pitching for that business and um, we did two hours for them for the dispatches strand one on how the world might change long term as a result of of coronavirus and another one which charted the experiences of several people who who had the disease both of which threw up their own challenges in terms of of making them and then and and at the same time we also recognize that long term the channels were after output which totally didn't talk about coronavirus at all and was and was escapism and you know house hunters is definitely of that ilk 
Um, but for us, it was about also, you know, continuing to produce Scenic Railways and our long-running show for Channel 5, um, Nightmare Tenants. And as James has already said, you know, we, we were keen to film as much as we could before lockdown so that we had a lot to cut. And we managed to put out, you know, Channel 5 aired seven of our railway shows during the lockdown, which completed the filming on before. And we've also made three three rever- reversions for them. So I think, you know, our diversity as a company in terms of the output that we have it has been an advantage which we sought to um, sought to exploit during the, during this time and Tom you mentioned there the, the two COVID related titles that you that you made for Channel 4 Could you just elaborate a little bit about that I mean what was the experience shooting those because they're quite timely obviously quite important topics to, to discuss and cover but how was the production side of it well they were very different because they happened at very different points during the outbreak so the film the first film which was about how the world is changing so I think it was literally titled um, coronavirus how the world's changing was commissioned right at the start of the outbreak and we were not yet in the phase of complete lockdown and so we were able to to film and Channel 4 we very quickly convinced Channel 4 to give us press cards which would allow our team to to move around and justify to the authorities where they challenged you know to why they were filming and effectively they became like news crews because what they were doing was was very much public service but we we had you know constant monitoring of of our um of our crews to make sure you know anyone who developed symptoms was was isolated um, we had a whole protocol around filming because part of what we did was to film with people who, who we suspected did have the disease. So, you know, we were at that point using hazmat equipment to be able to film with those people and then feeling our way in terms of um, allowing people to film themselves. So that, that film was turned around very, very quickly in, in a matter of a few weeks. And then at the same time, we started to make the film about people who had the disease and the effects of that disease on them and trying to help people understand a bit more you know if you haven't had it what it's actually like to to have this disease because you know the the the, the news reporting a lot about deaths and about a lot about symptoms but we wanted a bit more granular detail on how to cope with it so we had Salia Hassan uh, is a doctor who actually was suffering from the disease at the time was the presenter or she just just had it um so she was able to feed into that and give a doctor's point of view and then we gave a select number of people cameras to film their own experience of what was happening and you know we were we were having to deal with people who were relative novices with uh, you know uploading footage and um you know that the, the, all the problems that one has with with trying to sort of move large amounts of of data around because they were kind of filming um 24 7 we wanted them to film as much as possible because we didn't know you know what would end up being important so that also threw up its own issues in terms of remote working because the first film very much actually we wanted it to look like it wasn't filmed during lockdown. It still looked great because we were able to get some of the interviewees to come centrally, you know, socially distant, um, or we filmed outside. And so it didn't feel like some of the documentaries have gone out that, that have been very much sort of Skype-based. And then the second one was pretty much all self-filmed by the people themselves. Under the pandemic, I think factual and unscripted content has sort of stepped up to the plate, obviously, since the world of scripted and the world, uh, the drama world has been put on hold. Um, what do you think the pandemic has, has been able to teach the, the world of factual and the world of unscripted content? How do you think they've been able to, to learn from the circumstances they've been forced to work in? 
I think factual, you know, has, has, as you say, been a, been a champion. I think that we've all learned to be much more tolerant of, of each other and work in much more creative ways. I think we've we've all been forced to think how to get them get more out. All the broadcasters are wanting more out of the existing material that they have. For example, with our with our railways program, we didn't just do a sort of highlight show. We tried to create what was eff- effectively a new show out of existing material. So we we had thirteen shows to work with that had been aired, and we did a mountains special rather than just doing a sort of his highlights of the, ser- the first series so i think you, you've had to be creative with existing material um and i think they've you know it's taught us how to do that a bit a bit more but i think long term i think i think it has pushed escapist television to the fore and that's definitely what's doing well at the moment and what's popular with the channels things that take us away from the grim realities of life. I think there was a period early on when people wanted to feast on information around coronavirus. Now they want to think about pretty much anything else. Inigo, I think internally as well, we've seen significant differences and um, improved way of working, actually, because, for example, you know, we're, we're now talking about sharing crews in different territories around the world. Um, you know, Winfall might be doing a science show in Turkey, and at the same time, we may well be shooting an, an episode of House of International or uh, train journeys um, in that same country, and, and obviously with the challenges of quarantine, uh, which we were looking at at one point, we've started sharing crews. There's been a lot more sharing of intelligence around the group. We're a group that's got five different headquarters in different parts of the world, and people do very different things. But actually, we've found people have been really drawing on each other's expertise, which has been very encouraging. And of course, there's a lot of experience, and we've got more than 200 people working at Argonon, plus, of course, many, many hundreds of freelancers. And people, I think, have just been realizing that we're in this together and that we've got to get through this somehow. And that's actually not just within Algonon, it's also across the industry. I've been very involved in trying to get a production insurance somehow approved. You know, that's a massive challenge for us uh, with insurers taking, uh, enforcing COVID uh, clauses on us. And I've found that the channels have wanted to collaborate with this. I found across the industry, people, um, my peers in in various other super indies are talking very openly. PACT, of course, has uh, been organizing a number of working groups uh, we're lobbying the government about how can the government do what they've done in France, which is have a government intervention on production insurance. And uh, just generally, I think people have realised that in order to get through this, we have to work together. And that's actually been very inspiring. I've, I'm really enjoying that greater sense of camaraderie. As someone who's at the helm of one of the super indies, there's been a lot of things causing you stress, I imagine. But what is what was the thing that was most difficult for you to, to manage? And what was the thing that was causing you to lose? sleep the most under the pandemic? The most difficult thing undoubtedly at the beginning was our people. Um, I love my team uh, and we've got people who've been with us for more than 10 years and we have a steady throughput of very talented new people as well. Uh, so uh, in the middle of March when uh, New York actually really stepped up first because I think people in America realised a little bit earlier than in the UK that things were so critical and my New York team was talking to me very early in March about uh, moving off site um, and that brought things into even sharper relief and of course we realised at that point that whereas in the UK we had the, the furlough scheme which was very helpful in the, in the US things are very different so uh, we employ more than 100 people freelance um, on House Sons International and it was extremely painful to have to make decisions about what people we could keep and what one thing we were able to do is we could extend freelance contracts over the boundary of March into April to make sure people got medical health insurance for another month 
and then letting those people go was very, very sad. But as I said, I am pleased that we've brought about half of that team back in New York so far, and there's more to come. For us, it's a major priority to get those jobs up and running again, get people back to work. Maybe we could just go around and each of you say, tell me something that you thought has been a positive outcome from this pandemic. It's obviously taught us as an industry some quite tough lessons, but what have each of you found to be a surprisingly positive outcome from the crisis? I think that the, the remote working and the, the discovery that actually we don't all have to be in, in a room together to make something work. Of course, there are issues with that. But I think we personally, I was a, a bit terrified of, you know, how, how that would affect us, uh, in t- particularly in terms of edits and, you know, a director being separate from an editor being separate from the exec and a commissioner. And I think that, that what we've discovered is that it might even be true that we all work slightly more effectively like that. And frankly, I, I'm very happy if someone wants to cut their show at three in the morning from their barn or wherever, you know, it doesn't matter to me. And they may well be in a better frame of mind to do it than, than they might have been after they've been on a train delayed by an hour and a half trying to get into London. So I think that hopefully going forward, we'll all be, a more, we'll all be more understanding employers in, in that way and I think it's shown us that that all of that is is very possible to to do um yeah I was going to say adaptability you know everyone has been able to name the game pivot you know what what needs to be done how can we do it great let's work together who cares what your title is we need to get this show done you know it's been real you know pull up by the bootstraps get it done no whining um and everyone's happy for it I'm so grateful that I have not missed a day of work because of COVID-19 and I'm and I I look at the unemployment rates, I know what's out there. And I know being a freelancer, nothing's ever a guarantee. So I am really grateful to the work, to the fact that we have been able to be adaptable and and move with these really, really uncertain, unpredictable times that and it's going to continue. You know, like James said, it, we, you know, yes, we have our, our sights set on producing like heck, you know, through the end of the year, and we're going to do whatever we need to do to make that happen. And for me, it's democratization. I actually um, have been really enjoying the paradox that is this remote working, that we're all just a box on a screen. And frankly, it's irrelevant who you are or where you are. And I've had very, just really great access and intimate conversations um, with, you know, a client in Los Angeles or my reception team in London and everybody else in between. And there's a real sense that we're all in this together and people are just giving you more time. And I think that's been something that's really precious. James Burstall from Argonon Group, Liz Layton from Leopard USA and Tom Porter from Brightspark Films. Classic strict Sweden format The Farm is back up and running in Sweden and Norway, while distributor Nent Studios UK has secured deals for the show in Hungary and elsewhere during lockdown. Executive producer Kriko Akanda and Adam Bath, commercial director of Nent Studios UK, spoke with Clive Whittingham about making the reality format with COVID-19 restrictions and selling it internationally with no TV markets to attend. During production lockdown, everything seems to have gone on hiatus and deals are hard to come by and it's hard to actually produce things. But you guys have actually had deals for, for this format, The Farm. Can you tell us a bit for people that haven't seen it and don't know about it? Can you give us the, the full SP on what the format is, uh, you know, history of it, where it comes from, how long it's been running, where it originated, that sort of thing? The format The Farm started up in Sweden in 2000 and was first aired in 2001 in Sweden and the same year also in Norway with our sister company Strix Norway. 
And it is basically a reality show where you take a group of contestants a hundred years back in time. So they go out to live and run a farm, just like in ancient ways, without any help from electricity or any conveniences of today. That's the challenge. And also along that way, they will, uh, they will compete against each other about becoming the last man standing. And Adam, can you tell us about the deals that have been done just recently for this, uh, for this show? Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, the, the one we're, we're really excited about is um, with TV2 Hungary, um, who's looking at this because it is essentially kind of a, a self-isolating production anyway, you know, in order to keep the competition going and the reality elements and the overall atmosphere of the farm intact, you know, you, you have to isolate the, the casting crew from modern society in general. The format is naturally a kind of COVID-safe production uh, in that sense. And I think, you know, the, the fact that it has such a strong track record from around the world and CEE in particular has been a huge home for the format. You know, I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing uh, the farm be so successful is it has this great track record, but then also it is quite a safe format to produce. So Krika, the uh, the, the format sort of lends itself to, to isolation anyway. What other changes or advice on changes have you guys had to give for it to comply? I mean, each country is different, I guess. Uh, every country is different, but uh, apart from the obvious, of course, there is zero tolerance to everyone, anyone having any symptoms, but that is like in all over all over society in Sweden and in Norway, we have quarantined our contestants before they go into the farm because we are putting a huge group of people from all over a country together, and it would be very irresponsible to just let them move in together, sleep in dormitories together without making sure that no one is actually bringing contamination into the farm. So what we did in Sweden is we put them in um, isolation for 10 days in bungalows where they were of course able to use full internet and be like in contact with with their family and friends but only through electronics they would not meet one person that's presumably going to be the norm for a lot of shows for for a long time do you think reality shows like this are going to have this quarantine element kind of as standard is that is that how you're planning i think this might be something that comes in a little more uh that we will see in the future maybe not isolate them because now we isolated them in bungalows that we rented but maybe you can isolate them also in their own homes just make them you make a deal with them i know in norway they um they did the farm with celebrities and what they did is they went out and made the cost public in that way everybody knew that this celebrity is not supposed to be on the streets he's supposed to be home in quarantine so that sort of helped their way of making sure that they didn't go out on the streets but that's one thing that we did and also we have the face masks that the team will use face mask whenever they're indoors because even though we know it's going to be contaminated during the day because you touch it and so on it still helps it will not help you from getting contaminated but it will help you to stop spreading any disease that you bring into the farm and we have hand sanitizer all over the farm so that people can sanitize their hands because you touch your face and then you might touch equipment and so on so just making sure that the hygiene for both contestants and the crew is very high level how did you um, at the right at the start of this? Because there must be a whole myriad of things that you have to think about. You know, things that I would never guess 
I mean, did you sort of sit down and, and write a list at the, at the start and you've learned as you've gone along? I mean, how, how exhaustive is that list and how long did it take? Um, that list is, we, we made a COVID plan. Actually, we did it in the beginning of March and then said, this is the version one and it's going to be changed as along as we go. And we did it together with our production um, physician or a doctor that we work with on every production of whatever reality shows that we do, that we do from Strix. So we sat down with Robert Malmsboyd, that is our doctor, and he had a list of things that he said, if you're going to do this, I am demanding that you will take these measures. And then we said, okay, what if we do this? Will this change? Uh, will it make it easier? Is this better? And he's such a good consultant. So we, we made a vast list with him. And then we sent that to the broadcaster and said, this is, this is what we've come down to that we need to do to make this possible. How, I mean, I, I, I'm sure you won't give me a, exact figures, but how much is that increasing the budget? Because it's all extra time, extra equipment, longer production to include the quarantine, isn't it? I mean, how much does it increase the budget of the series by? Of course, there is some extra cost, but I think essentially it's not the extra cost. It is the extra mindset of, of the crew that you are everybody is on the boat, figuratively speaking. When you start a production, everyone is, is like, we're in on this and we're going to fix this together. We're going to make sure that no one will go to the farm when they're feeling not even a little sick. Like you will call in sick that day and you will not touch the contestants because obviously we, we filmed them for 60 days. So you're going to become pretty good friends with the, the crew that is out there and, and then they go on their sort of shift and then they go off their shift. So normally they will be like high fives and high and lows and maybe some hugs or whatever because we're doing that together but that is of course a big no-no this year so I think it's more of a change in mindset and a, a sense of responsibility of course there's extra cost with sanitizers and of course for putting the contestants in quarantine in the hotel rooms that that is the main cost for us Adam, are you having discussions along those lines with broadcasters? Because obviously the ad market, we, we've all seen it go away and broadcasters have less money to spend at a time when they've got hours to fill. Shows like this are incurring extra costs through quarantine and testing. Is that a conversation you're having with, with potential buyers when you're, when you're shopping these formats? I mean, a- absolutely. Of course, the ad market definitely affects what shows will go on air. But I think that's one of the reasons why we're going to see a lot more return to tried and tested formats as opposed to newer formats and and going back to formats that have you know like i was saying before the track record uh you know some something like the farm there's plenty of examples where they could see exactly how much content the farm generates you know not only can you do the uh episodic breakdown like they do in the nordics but it's easily a daily strip show so pretty much for a similar budget to what you would be doing a big shiny floor show you're getting that much more content and you know that uh it oftentimes especially in ce that will create spin-off formats of the farm talk show or the retrospective show. So from that one license and essentially just for a bit more budget, you're getting a lot more hours. I also think the broadcasters that we're speaking to just in general, everybody's looking for obviously what's editorially going to bring the viewers to the channel. And I think the one thing the, the farm offers quite nicely is I know myself personally, we've done a lot more things at home in lockdown that we would have never done before. We make our own bread because you couldn't get flour. So we bought a big 15 kilogram bag of uh, flour. You know, we're, we're gardening. Uh, whereas my wife and I used to kill every plant that we, we bought. And I think 
I think this really has broken this uh, work-life debate quite a bit that everybody wants a little bit more of a simple life. We've all tasted this ability to live at home and go back on ourselves, rely on technology to keep life going, but at the same time, see that there's a whole other side of life that we can enjoy, and that's what the farm does. Where are license fees? How, how are you sort of seeing the market as we go through the year? We heard at the start it's quite a good time to be a distributor, you know, with finished tape to sell, but, but are license fees holding up? For the most part, uh, I would say they are, um, you know, especially on on formats with that track record, you know, the, it's not just one broadcaster who's looking at these formats, it's multiple in the territory. So that does present an opportunity for distributors. I would say it's really a case by case basis. And also depending on the territory, every territory, I think has been hit so differently, uh, based on how long their lockdown was, but also kind of the, you know, these threats of second waves and third waves, everyone's trying to get ahead of themselves as well. Um, so I, I, you know, from from where we've been sitting, there are definitely territories that have been much harder hit ad market wise and, and commercially speaking than than others. But for the most part, I'd say the license fees are, are holding steady. What effect does it have on on you doing your job that the television event circuit and markets has, has basically gone away? Because obviously we, we we can't go down to Cannes and all hang around on the Quesette at the moment. What if how has that changed? your job as a, as a distributor it's funny i mean we uh we've been talking to a lot of colleagues at other distributors about this as well and and you know trying to see what the opportunities are for markets um because we keep being invited to digital ones and, i mean funnily enough i feel like i'm speaking to our broadcasters more effectively through zoom and uh in teams and all of that than i was before lockdown because you you did get a bit reliant on those markets and those kind of individual country trips to have those big conversations. But everyone seems much more accessible now and a face-to-face meeting is a click of a button away instead of having to get on a flight in a hotel. So I find it quite nice uh, in a way. Also, unfortunately, I, I travel on American passports. So uh, right now I can't travel anywhere in, in Europe. Um, so I'm, I'm you know fully relying on, on all of this. But I, I think for the most part, um, it will be interesting to see what happens in October because MIPCOM obviously is the big launch, but I think a lot of distributors are in the same place of projects that were put on hold. Will they deliver by October? Will there be something to see by October? But I think, you know, overall, at least the sense I get from uh, the conversations I've had, communication's actually been better than ever. I think it's forced people to communicate more and not just rely on email. Do you think that event circuit will come back to the same extent it was before it kind of got to the stage where you could be at an event every week? Um, and now, like you say, we're, we're, we're kind of ticking along okay. I get that FaceTime people business and all of that is important, but do you think that circuit will come back to the same extent? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure the industry will want it to. And definitely, you know, there's loads of companies that rely on that circuit industry for, for their business. Um, I mean, I think the the overall atmosphere was that the the front end of the year was always very heavy in terms of markets. You know, uh, I know personally, I was due to only be in the country for about three weeks before lockdown happened between uh, Berlinale Series Series and um, TV and uh, you know the individual country trips that you have to go on in preparation. I would like to see a bit of a change and a, a bit more of a more of a targeted approach with the markets because it seems there are a few that that are a bit redundant, but then also, you know, the smaller markets, I've always personally found that you get a lot more quality time with people. Um, So it'd be nice to see if a few more focused markets pop up out of this as opposed to bigger ones. 
Krikow, how does that affect you as a, as a producer? Because obviously you, you like to get your foot in the door of new channels and make new contacts. How is that lack of FaceTime affecting you guys? I think to the better, better just like Adam says, it's you're more accessible and people, because before when you said, well, maybe we can just take a Zoom about this, they felt reluctant. They didn't know some, some people were on Zoom, other were on FaceTime, and it just felt like a big hump to get over to arrange a meeting like this. But now it's like, okay, so for instance, when, when talking about the farm, we had a meeting like this with Norway and Sweden and just exchanged ideas. Like, this is what we came up with to do. And they're like, okay, this is what we came up with to do. And then we could pick each other's like cherry picking whatever suited our production best. So I think mainly perks that we can actually put the meetings here and people find that it works. One of the problems that we've heard for producers, that even if you can get over all of the quarantine and protocols and get your production up and running, is, is getting insurance for it. Insurance companies just won't be offering you pandemic cover. And if you do have to shut down or someone does get ill, then you're, you're left carrying the cost. Are you, is that a problem for, for you guys? Are you finding that broadcasters are willing to help or is, is it not an issue? Touch wood, it hasn't been an issue, but we have been in contact with our insurance company. Of course, we didn't have a pandemic cover either, but we believe and really hope that with the measures that we have, we'll be able to to produce the show. And also we've looked into what happens if we come halfway and we get COVID into the into the farm. What, would he, what do we do? Do we bring everybody out, put them in quarantine for 10 days and make a hold? We have a few like plan A, plan B, plan C. What can we do? Okay, so if it's only the last week, maybe we can still deliver as many episodes but we can just focus differently or so there there are a few plans for whenever shit hits the fan sorry <laughs> worst case scenarios <laughs> yeah. what is that just like speaking generally and about the television production situation in general in sweden what is the situation there because sweden was one of the countries that kind of did things a bit differently didn't go for the the big hard lockdown and obviously numbers their numbers aren't quite as good as the country's neighbouring Sweden. What's the situation there now, both in general and referring to television production? In general, we're seeing like an, it's easing up. Now we have a great increase in the, in the contamination. And we've had quite a few people get, get ill, of course. We have, I think we're about 80,000 people out of 10 million population. So it is, it, it's been harsh on Sweden, but still we, we kept the society open, which is the economy is still on the roll here. Our government has, has put the responsibility on the Swedes to stay away from each other, to make sure you wash your hands, use sanitizers, and to keep your socializing down. Like you can still go out, we can, we can do stuff, but they're like, think about who you meet. Maybe you will pick just three or four friends that you will see throughout the pandemic. And then you can go back to normal later, but now we need to do it together. So I'm just, I'm hoping this has worked right now. You, do, you don't know, is there gonna be a vaccine? When does it come? So when are we gonna, when are we gonna sit down and look at the figures and be able to compare? We don't know if that will be in October or next October or when. And is the is TV production at the level it was before or what's the what's the score with that? We've had a few shows cancelled in Sweden, mainly the ones that are shot outside of Swedish borders, like Bachelor and Bachelor and, and so on. And also we um, another Swedish production company is producing Survivor up north instead of in the tropics. So we're sort of 
trying to find ways to work around the pandemic. Kriko Akanda from Strict Sweden and Adam Bath from Nent Studios UK. That's all for this episode. The podcast is taking a summer break for the next few weeks, but we'll be back in September. Till then, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening.